As you can see from the slide, we're beginning our Thanksgiving uh, series, and today my subject is going to be giving thanks while suffering. A man by the name of John Bryant, he was a pastor, he had severe OCD and he had a psychotic breakdown at one point. And he's written a book that came out of that experience. And this is a quote from that book. He says, suffering is a mystery by which we are driven either to humility or despair. And I would even add to that, it's a mystery by which we are either driven to thankfulness or despair. And today, my goal is to help us understand that it is in particular times of suffering when we have the closest point of connection with the life of our Savior Jesus Christ. It is in suffering that we can see more clearly our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love that he's extended toward us which should, as we begin to understand that, fill our hearts, as the song said, with gratefulness. But that's the point that this message is going to take, the entire message to make. So let's begin to do that. So here's the question. Why do Christians give thanks while suffering? And keep in mind, I would like you to ask yourself as we're going through, not only why do Christians give thanks while suffering, but for yourself, why do I not want to give thanks when I am suffering? Here's the answer. I'm going to give you the answer up front. The answer, the reason why Christians give thanks while they are suffering is because Christians have, unlike anyone else in the world, a great high priest. And that's the only point I'm making today. We have, as believers, a great high priest, and that should fill our hearts with gratefulness toward him. Indeed, by the end of this message, I'm hoping that from the depths of our hearts, we can truly, honestly say, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So Christ, this is where we're going to begin this morning, and it's where we're going to end. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ the night he was going to be betrayed he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, 
there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then in the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And with that, I would like to draw near to that throne of grace and prayer as we go into this message. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. Forbid it. In this message and throughout this message and for those who hear that you would help them to see and revel in and rejoice in and give thanks for the inexpressible gift of our Lord Jesus Christ and the inexpressible suffering he experienced on our behalf so that we could know and believe and have a faithful high priest who can be, who was touched with our infirmities. Father, bless this time, we pray. Guide the words that are spoken. Indeed, this is a time in which we need help. Help us to hear from you, we pray. The Apostles' Creed has an interesting statement in it. I don't know how many of us are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, but it is a succinct um, retelling a, a confession of the basic beliefs of the Christian faith. And for many Christians around the world, it is regularly quoted. But it has this interesting statement in it. It says of our Lord Jesus Christ, he descended into hell. And I remember hearing this when I was younger and thinking, did he go to hell? Um, What does that mean? The Heidelberg Catechism says this about this statement. It says that this statement is added to the Apostles' Creed to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. I like this. I believe it's something the church probably doesn't quite grasp, especially especially those of us who rightfully are focused on Christ's propitiatory work or his work in removing our sin, our guilt, our condemnation on the cross, that his suffering was not simply to remove those things from us, his suffering was also to take those things which are ours and make them his own. And that is important. 
for those who are suffering. That our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not only remove our sins, he took our sins. He did not only remove our sorrows, he took our sorrows. He did not only do these things for us, he suffered them with us. And that, my friends, is something that if we begin to understand, that will make us extremely grateful when we suffer. Put another way, the crucifixion of Christ is the human story, your story, my story, the history of the world's story, played out in less than 24 hours. All its horror, all its injustice, all its pain, all its shame, all of its confusing rush and violence, all of its lost hope and dashed dreams, all of its darkness, all of its suffering, all of its punishment, all of its hell. Yes, our Lord and Savior descended into our hell as our priest for us. Thus, through his life and his death, all suffering of his people also becomes Christ's suffering. All abuse, the abuse of Christ. Do you remember what Jesus says to the soon-to-be Apostle Paul, but at the present persecutor of Christ's church? Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So, all abuse, the abuse of Christ, all physical pain, the pain of Christ, all mental distress is the distress of Christ, all guilt, the guilt of Christ, all shame becomes the shame of Christ, all loss, the loss of Christ, and all sins of the world, the sin of the Christ. Yet, on the cross, their hell, their ultimate condemnation, becomes Christ's alone. So with us, he suffers all that we will suffer on earth. But for us, he suffers our condemnation alone. This, again, is something to give thanks for. I'm already at the application. Jesus loves me, this I know. What's the next? Yes, I love that. But I wonder if it would be a little better if it says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the cross shows me. So. Indeed, I think when we are suffering it's to such an extent in our Christian walk, when we are so burdened that we cannot hardly speak, that if we could just say, Jesus loves me, 
This I know, for the cross shows me so. We would have great comfort. Because in that moment, whatever we're suffering, whatever dread we're enduring, he sweat drops of blood under that dread. Because it was all on him, not just ours, but all. It isn't an inexpressible gift. Through talking with people and just general life experience, I've found that there are particular kinds of suffering which people struggle with to connect with their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their trust in God. And it's understandable because the types of things that certain people have to suffer for are the sins of others have put in their lives causing a depth of dread, ache, harm, and constant sorrow. And we can ask the question, what about suffering caused by abuse? Should I give thanks for abuse? What about the suffering caused by my own sin? This is a struggle, right? Because indeed, our own sin can bring a great deal of suffering from guilt, from shame, from all of the things that sin can bring into our life. And it can bring a great deal of suffering into our life. What about that kind of suffering? What about suffering that changes my mind and my body? What about suffering of mental illness? I began with the man who suffered a psychotic breakdown, I think, of the hymn writer William Cooper and his extraordinary struggles with mental illness. Are these also the sufferings of Christ? Can Christ sympathize with me in these kinds of suffering? Does he know about this kind of suffering? Is he with me? Because the fact that I suffered abuse makes me feel that maybe he was not with me. He did not care for me. Maybe because I've sinned against him, I cannot imagine that he would know what it's like to be a sinner. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 31 through 39. And I'm reading this as a response to the things I just read, or the questions that were just asked. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure I am sure, says the Apostle Paul, who had endured all kinds of persecution, abuse, and mistreatment throughout his life. I am sure, says the Apostle Paul, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. God so loved the world in this way that he sent his only begotten son. How do I know that God loves me so? Because God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for me in my place and to suffer with me in my life. This is an inexpressible gift. This brings us to Colossians 3, verses 2 through 4, which I had read earlier. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden. Do you remember what we read in the Gospel of John? The one who loses his life will keep it unto eternal life. What happens to our life when we lose it? It becomes hidden with Christ in God for eternal life. And when I say your life, and when the Bible says your life, it's talking about your life. Because we get a lifespan. It starts when we're born, it ends when we die. We get that. That's our life. But that lifespan is either going to diverge at its end into eternal condemnation or into eternal life. And then it's going to extend on for eternity. Either in condemnation, which is the ultimate loss of life, or into life eternal, the ultimate gain of life. What 
does the fact that our life, what we're living now, what we have lived in the past, what we've lived ever since we're born, the fact that it is hidden with Christ in God do for us when we're suffering. See, the giving thanks in suffering is the victory cry of the saint. Christ enters first into this glory we follow after. Christ is with us. Our suffering is his. It is no longer ours to fix. He has already done it, and he will soon know, we will soon know the full extent of the healing his stripes brought. And so we give thanks in the name of Jesus Christ to God for his inexpressible gift. I want to bring this even closer, though. Because I believe thanksgiving is how the saint endures suffering. Because we're not just meant to sit under the load of our suffering and try to hold out to the end. There is a very real thing that our Lord Jesus Christ has given us, has showed us, and that is that we, through thanksgiving, are enabled to endure what we are enduring through suffering in a way that glorifies God. Do you know that Jesus Christ, we read this every time we do the communion, Jesus Christ on the night that he was going to be betrayed, and he knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew the suffering he was going into, that when he broke the bread, which he says is my body, and in breaking it, he was showing us in a picture what was about to happen to his real physical body. It was really going to be broken to bits by whip and by beating and by nailing and rending his body would be broken. When he broke that, he gave thanks. Did he, I, I have to ask you the question, was he giving thanks for the suffering he was about to endure? Was he giving thanks for the fact that Judas, being so evil, would literally betray him to the authorities? Was he giving thanks for the fact that men so wicked, unfeeling, and hard of heart would strip him naked and nail him to a cross? Was he giving thanks in that moment that sin had come into the world and therefore made it necessary that he be the lamb that takes it away? I don't think so. I believe our Lord Jesus Christ was giving thanks because all of that would accomplish the goal. All of that 
would not be worthless. All of that would bring many children into glory. Jesus was giving thanks in advance for victory. In anticipation of and throughout his suffering. Why did he suffer the way he did? It says he suffered the way he did for the joy that was set before him. He despised the shame. He didn't thank, give thanks for the shame. He despised it. How did he despise it? Because of the joy that was set before him. Do you know that in the word of God we're told, we're told that the things we suffer now are accruing, they're gathering interest for a glory which is yet to be revealed for us, in us. You know, it says of the hypocrite that what is accruing over their head is judgment because of their presumption on God, their continuation in sin and hypocrisy. It says an immense weight of judgment is building up over their head, but not so for the saint who is suffering. No, for the saint who is suffering, those sufferings are not only being added to the glory that is to be revealed, they are accruing interest for the glory. So it's being our life is being hid in the bank of God with Christ and is accruing constantly, day after day, every moment we've suffered on this earth as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is accruing an interest. It's not just an equal glory to the suffering, but a glory with interest to each thing we've suffered. And because that's true, and we believe that's true, because Jesus Christ is with us, the interest comes through him, the glory comes through him, because he took what is ours, and he is not only man, but the God-man, then the glory which is being accrued to us is gathering and gathering and gathering. The weight of our glory is gathering as we suffer. We know Jesus Christ suffered more than any other human being ever will, ever has. And he has been exalted to the heavenly realms and is seated at the right hand of power. And he has all glory and in heaven and in earth. It is to him that the angels are singing. It is to him that glory has been given day and night. Why? Because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah? That's something to give thanks for, because if he wasn't the lion of the tribe of Judah, he would never have succeeded in the mission. But he is receiving glory because he completed the mission, and in completing the mission, he became the lamb that was slain. And it is to the lamb that was slain that praise and honor and thanksgiving are ever given day and night without end. This Knowledge gives us the ability to endure suffering for the glory of God. But there's still two questions that I want to bring into this application here. What about the suffering that I experience because of the sins 
I committed. I want to bring your, to your memory a man. He was a thief. He sinned his entire life. His sin led him down a road that led him to a cross. And he was nailed on that cross. Not like Jesus. Not in the place of someone else, but for his own sin. He was there because he did things contrary to the law of man and the law of God. And he was nailed to that cross, and from his own confession, it was just. He was suffering for his own sin. But who was suffering with him? Who was in the middle, suffering the same condemnation? Jesus. Now, one of the thieves, the one on the other side, he did not accept this. He refused to suffer with Christ. No, he wanted Christ to come off the cross, and he wanted Christ to get him off the cross. He would not suffer with Christ. He rejected this utterly. He rejected his own guilt. He rejected his own culpability in the place that he was in. He utterly rejected it and refused and cursed Christ. But the one on the other side, he said, I'm here justly. But who is he? He's not here justly. Hey, other thief. Don't you know who you're suffering with? Now let me ask you something. Did his recognition of the Lord Jesus Christ, did his understanding of who he was get him off the cross? No. He probably suffered a lot longer. But you know what? He didn't curse Christ. Why? Because the one he had put his trust in said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. I want you to understand, to suffer with Christ for your own sins, there are sins that have consequences. Some of them very serious and very difficult to endure. But Christ suffered that kind of punishment and not as innocent. That's not how Jesus felt on the cross. Jesus did not feel, did not experience the Christ, I mean the cross, as an innocent man. He became sin for us. So when you're tempted to think that Jesus doesn't know anything about what it is to feel shame and guilt of sin, you're wrong. He not only knows it, he knows it to the nth degree. The one who doesn't know it is you. And to suffer with Christ means that you will accept 
the consequences of the things you've done. But you can believe with Zacchaeus, who gave all his earthly wealth away upon meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can be with Christ in paradise. And in some mysterious way, those things you suffer as consequences for your own sin will begin to be part of the glory of your salvation. Now that, for me, from my perspective, is probably the hardest pill for anyone to swallow when it comes to the gospel. That I must come down. That I must be on a cross and accept the reality that here I am nailed and here I will stay. But I will look forward to life eternal. And then the second question, what if I am currently being abused? Should I simply endure it, understanding that it is accruing to my glory? Well, I want to point out that the fact that the Apostle Paul, on at least two occasions, once he fought against an unjust treatment of himself, and in the other he completely avoided being beaten by the reality of the law. He says, I'm a Roman. You can't just beat me. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're not going to do that. All I say is this. We are not to submit to the suffering. We are to submit ourselves to God while suffering. Abusers want you to submit yourselves to them. And by continuing there, you are not submitting yourself to God. You're submitting yourself to them. And they will insist on that. They'll enforce that. If you have suffered abuse, if it has left long-term traumatic effects on you, and you are still dealing with those consequences, even after it stopped, even after you're free, and I, people you have to understand that's the case, then know that that suffering is accruing. God has taken notice. Jesus sees himself, is himself with you. When he said to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? He meant, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I am suffering with my people. And it would be better for a millstone to be hung around the neck of one who offends one of these little children than that they do so. Jesus Christ is not a passive savior. He takes the care of his children seriously. And for those who are suffering under unjust, unholy treatment, he sympathizes and he is their comforter and he is their protector and he is their shield and defender. And for those who are causing it, he is a roaring lion. 
if you have been, if you are being, know Jesus is your comfort and your strength and give thanks because he will have the victory and seek by his grace to find freedom if you are an abuser. There is a cross. And submission to it is what you're called to. But no, Jesus is there too. The gospel is a terrifyingly beautiful thing. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a terrifyingly beautiful person. And he loves so passionately. He will stop at nothing to save his people from their sins. And that is encouraging beyond all description, but it's also scary. It's a wonderful, beautiful, terrifying, awesome reality that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ loves us. And for this we give thanks. If you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles or however you can access it, at the end of a message recently, I read this passage. It's Isaiah 53. I would like to have us stand again and hear this, but when we reach the end of this passage, I would like a response. And what I would like us to say as we finish this, and then I'll read a little more in another place, is thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So when we close, when I get done, when we reach the end of this passage, I want all of us to say together, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So stand please. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned 
everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off of, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for transgressors. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbing myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Heavenly Father, apply your word, we pray, to our hearts and minds, that we might truly, from the depths of our heart, give thanks to you in the times of suffering for the inexpressible gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who became our high priest for us, with us. To your glory and your honor be it ever. Amen. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen.